Colossians chapter number one. My, my wife's shaking her head at me. Maybe I won't. Maybe we're good. Uh, no, nah, crank it down. Let's do it. Uh, Colossians chapter one. And uh, we're going to look tonight at two verses together. Back in this, a church prayer list. Our church prayer list, not prior list. Well, you'll get that, but uh, no, correct it back there. But uh, church prayer list, and it's Colossians 1, 1 through 10. And so once you found Colossians 1, I invite you, if you would, stand out of respect for the reading of God's Word. And tonight's going to be one of those nights, church, where we have our main text on the screen, and then we're going to be turning to all the other ones. So get your Bibles handy. If you don't have a Bible, uh, there is one there in front of you in the pew, and it'll be a help and blessing to you. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 9, beginning in verse number 9. And I am going to ask that we read this in unison together. Ready? Paul says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Father, I pray that in these next few minutes, you'd still our hearts. Father, that you would give us an alertness. Father, that you would give us an anticipation of the reality, Lord, that you want to speak to us tonight. That you want to touch us tonight, to work in us tonight, to equip us tonight, to challenge us, to convict us, to comfort us, to change us. God, I want you to work. God, I want you to work. Help us, I pray, in this moment to give ourselves before our God that we might commit both to hear and to heed everything you'd have for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Why are we focusing so much on the church prayer list? Well, because we need to be a church that majors on prayer. Why? Because prayer changes things in a major way. What does prayer do? It recognizes our weakness. It recognizes our inadequacy, our inability, and it invites God to intervene, to empower, and to intercede as only He can. Here's the thing. This church doesn't need my strength. It needs God's strength. We need His. But you know, church, if we're truly going to be a church that experiences God's power the way He wants us to, we're going to have to be a church whose prayer goes beyond the surface. We're going to have to be a church whose prayer life goes beyond just the physical. And so what we've been doing on Wednesday nights a lot this year is we've been looking at different prayers that Paul prayed for the churches that he ministered to. And understanding Paul's prayer list was almost exclusively a spiritual prayer list. And if these things were important enough for Paul to have on his list to pray for these churches, well, maybe many of these things should be important enough to be on our list as well. So tonight, I want to find some of these things that we should put on our prayer list from Colossians 1. We're going to be focusing on verse 9 and verse 10. Look at verse 9 again. He said, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with Read that next part with me. Filled with what? The knowledge of His will. 
and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What are we going to pray for tonight, church? Number one, let's pray that we might be filled with His will. Let's pray that we might be filled with His will. I got news for you tonight. God has a will for your life. God has a will for your life. God has a will for this church. Now let's talk about God's will, shall we? Elements of God's will are for all believers and are clearly spelled out in Scripture. We know, for instance, 2 Peter 3 and verse number 9, it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, right? It's God's will that you be saved, simply put. Amen? And we find in several places where God's will is clearly spelled out. Look with me at 1 Thessalonians. Hold your place, put your little tabby thing in Colossians, and go with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're going to look at a couple of verses. 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter number 4. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Thessalonians. So say, if you believe that, just smile and pretend like you found it. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 3. All right? And I want you to read it in unison. Look what it says. For this is the will of God. Hold up, church. If God takes the time to spell it out that clearly, guess what? We ought to listen. Let's look at it again. Read it in unison. For this is the will of God even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. Guess what? It is God's will for every believer to abstain from fornication, from sexual impurity of every kind. That is God's will. By the way, if you have any questions about that, come Sunday morning. Because that's basically what 1 Corinthians 5 is all about. You will be edified. It is God's will for believers to be pure. Look one chapter over, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 18. There are many such passages. We'll just look at a few. It says, in everything give thanks. For this is the, what does it say, church? This is the will of God. All right, we can do a little better than that. I turn the air down. If we don't pick it up, I'll turn the air down farther. I got to make sure we're awake, right? In everything, give thanks for what? This is the will of God God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And so what is God's will for every believer? God's will for every believer is that we be thankful, that we give thanks, that we praise Him and thank Him in every season, every place in life. You can mark this down for later study, 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. You know what God's will for the believer is? That we submit ourselves to the authority God places over us. <gasps> but that's God's will. It's spelled out. This is the will of God. That we submit to the authority that God places over us. Now... Many other such passages we can look at, but simply put, there are elements of God's will for all believers that are clearly spelled out in Scripture. And can I tell you this? God's will will never violate God's Word. God's will will never violate God's Word. So you can't look at me and say, God wants me to do such and such when God's Word prohibits such and such. Simply put, God's will will never violate God's Word. So... We have a a, a shared will of God that's found in Scripture. 
But you know, there's also a specific will of God for each Christian and each church. In other words, uh, Brother Bob White is gifted differently than I am. God has positioned him differently than he has positioned me. There, there are elements of God's will for Brother Bob. There's elements of God's will for Brother Edgar. There's ele- elements of God's will for Miss Brenda that, that are specific to you. Because you have specific gifts. You have been placed in specific places and in position, specific pe- uh, uh, positions around specific people. And so, yes, we have a shared will of God found in Scripture. But we also have a specific will of God for each Christian in each church. Meaning it might not be God's will for every church to have an RU ministry. But it is God's will for us to have an addictions recovery ministry. Now, here's what I want you to see. This is what Paul prays. Flip back to Colossians. He says, we don't cease to pray for you and desire that ye may be filled with the knowledge of his will. So, God's will is not something that we simply tack on to our life. God's will is something that takes over our life. It's not that we kind of incorporate God's will here and there. And I know God wants, hey, I'll go to church on Sunday. And yeah, I know, so maybe I'll do this. No, God's will is not something that we tack on to our life. God's will is something that takes over our life. When, when the Bible says that we be filled with the knowledge of his word, that word filled there, it has the idea of, of being crammed full. Uh, maybe a picture of fishermen fishing with a net. And those fish are just crammed in there. I mean, it is chock full. That net is busting at the seams. And, and the prayer is that these saints and that the church would be filled crammed full of the knowledge of his will. So let's take it a step further. If we are to be crammed full with the knowledge of his will, guess what that doesn't leave room for? My will. It doesn't leave room for my will. You see, when Jesus said, take up your cross daily and follow me, do you know what he meant? He meant for us to take up our cross daily and follow him. You know, when Paul said, I die daily, do you know what he was saying? He was saying, I die to myself daily. Daily. That, that, that Paul, this person, he dies daily. Why? That I might follow Christ. To be filled with the knowledge of his will, pressed, crammed, filled, does not leave room for my will. To be filled with the knowledge of his will... Can I tell you what it does? It often, and it ought to, create almost a pressure and a burden on us. That that we are so filled, we are so, even to the point of overwhelmed with what God has placed us on this earth to do, that it creates a burden in us. By the way, if you're burdened about His will, guess what? We won't be so burdened about the things that would mess with our will. You know, we're burdened about a lot of things, right? We're burdened about the price of milk. We're burdened about the price of eggs, about the price of gasoline. We're we're burdened about this and we're burdened about that. And what's the Supreme Court going to say? And what's my boss going to do tomorrow? And and what's Sally who lives two doors down going to do? And and this and this and this and this. We're burdened about all of these things, right? But you know, if we were a little bit more burdened about His will, I think we'd find ourselves a little less burdened about the everyday cares of this life. And I'm going to tell you, to be burdened with God's will, that kind of burden, that kind of burden is a blessing. Because it is the weight of purpose 
and it is the weight of promise. That God has put me here to do something eternally meaningful with my life. You think about that? God has put me here. God has put you here to do something eternally meaningful with your life. And when you, when you really start focusing on that reality, who really cares how much eggs cost? That we be filled with his will. I mentioned this before we move on to the second point. God's will is often presented as a young person thing. We talk a lot to our teenagers about it. Find God's will for your life. What's God's will for your life? God's created you for a reason. Fulfill God's will for your life. And young people, God has created you for a reason. Find and fulfill God's will for your life. But you know what? God's will is not just a young person thing. It's more than that. God's will is an every person thing. God has a will for every person. Can I tell you, if you're here tonight and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, the first thing you need to know about God's will for you is that you get saved. Is that you get saved. That you turn from your sin and you turn from yourself and you turn to the Savior. And you put your faith and trust in what He did for you on the cross. I'm going to tell you, that's God's will for you. But beyond that, hear me, God's will is an every person thing. I want to go beyond that. It's an every person thing. It's an every season thing. You know, sometimes we'll say mature. We mature to the place where we feel we have no more use. I can't walk like I used to and sing like I used to and stand like I used to and talk like I used to and I just don't know why God leaves me here anymore and Hananah, listen to me. If you are here, God has a purpose for you and God has a purpose for you in this season. Period. God's will is in every person thing. It is in every season thing. It is in every day thing. It is in every moment thing. God has a will for you. So here's the thing, Christian. Don't resent your gifting. In other words, wish you had brother so-and-so's or sister so-and-so's. Don't resent your gifting. Don't resent your season. And let's every one of us get on our face and beg God for his leading. You know, I think sometimes it's presented and wrongly so that the will of God is kind of this mystic thing that we're always chasing and we never find. I don't believe that's the case at all. You know, I think I have gained some insights the longer I live. People tell me you tend to do that. And one of the things that I have learned being a father is that I want what's best for my kids more than they want what's best for them. And like, I want to communicate to them and help them. I I want to see them achieve that. You know what? You ever stop to think God wants you to know his will more than you want to know his will? Maybe the reason we don't know his will like we want and we don't have that burden like like we say we want is simply because we aren't asking for it. Maybe sometimes we have not because we ask not. Let me ask you, why are you here? 
Why has God gifted you the way he has? Why has God placed you where he has? Why are you here? God doesn't make mistakes. And so that means the fact that you are here means he has a purpose. What is it? Paul said, I pray that you are filled. Filled with his will. Filled. That's not all he says. Verse number 9, he says, For this calls also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know what Paul prays for this church? Not only that they would be filled with God's will, but number two, that they would be fit for God's will. He prays that they would be filled with God's will, but he also prays they would be fit for God's will. Just because we are filled with the knowledge of his will does not make us fit for his will. Think about it this way. The what without the how, when, where, and why can be a real disaster. Doing the right thing at the wrong time is bad. For instance, it is a good thing for me to be sweet to my wife. But what would you think if I got up here and said, well, welcome to service tonight. In a few minutes, we're going to sing. But before we do that, baby, you need to know some things. <laughs> You'd be like, what is going on, right? Good thing, wrong time, right? It would not sit well with you and probably it wouldn't be really well received from her. Now, would it? And so the what being filled with his will without the how, the when, the why, and the where. Mm. And so what does Paul say? He said not only that you be filled with his will, but also he says in all. What's that word? In all. Wisdom. That's first. He said that you might be filled with the knowledge of his uh, will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so we need wisdom to do his will his way we need wisdom to do his will his way wisdom what is it it's skill in living it's it's navigating well we're going to come to to different obstacles and twists and turns and unexpected things and wisdom does what it helps us to live skillfully to navigate the difficulties of life in such a way that we do it well with excellence we need wisdom we also need spiritual understanding to do his will his way understanding what is it it's insight and discernment it is seeing how all the pieces fit together or even whether they fit together at all i'm gonna tell you there's many knowledgeable fools out there even in the realm of spiritual work many knowledgeable fools there are people who, in the name of soul winning and evangelism, will stand on street corners uh, with, with signs that basically say, fine, burn in hell then. That's not good. I mean, is the knowledge that people who die without Christ die and go to hell? Is that, is that legitimate knowledge? But is that God's will done God's way? Absolutely not. And so we need wisdom. We need spiritual understanding. You know what we need to pray? We need to pray that the Lord would open our eyes. 
We need to pray that, that as I gain wisdom and understanding, that God would open my eyes and lead me and fit me to do His will. You know, here's what I find. I find more and more, and I see more and more clearly, that it is not God's will that needs to be fit into my life, but it is my life that needs to be fit for God's will. Romans chapter 1, let's turn, Romans chapter 12, let's turn there if we could. Romans chapter 12, a very familiar passage of scripture. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, probably many of us could recite this from memory tonight. Paul says this, verse number 1, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living, what's that word, a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And we're not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect what? Will of God. So as we present our bodies a living sacrifice, and as we are transformed in our minds, we prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know, we talk about God's leadership. We talked about being filled with His will. Anybody ever find this? We all want to be led until it's time to be led. We all want leadership in our lives until it's time for us to be led somewhere. You know, it's not untrue with God either. Oh, Lord, search me, know me. Lord, lead me. Oh, Lord, don't search there. You know, Lord, why don't we just lead this way? Why not we, let's not worry about, but that's not how it works, is it? We don't just need to be filled with his will. We need to be fit for his will. Pray for wisdom. Pray for understanding. Pray that the Lord would refine us, to grow us, to mold us, to make us. We must do his will his way. Did you notice what it said at the beginning of verse number 10? That we might walk what? That we might walk worthy of the Lord. Let's say that together, church, that we might walk what? Worthy Worthy of the Lord. That we might walk what, church? Worthy of the Lord. If we are going to do His will, His way, we must walk worthy. I've got news for us tonight. He is worthy. He is worthy of the change that needs to take place in our lives. He is worthy of the cost that we're going to have to pay. He is worthy. Now, walking worthy, what does it mean? It means the idea of living appropriately or in a way that is becoming. You remember over in Philippians chapter 1 where Paul admonishes that church to to live or have a lifestyle or conversation that was becoming to the gospel. In other words, our lifestyle ought to help draw out the beauty of Christ. Not detract from it. Look with me if you will. We'll turn to this one. Ephesians 5 and verse number 15. So walking worthy has the idea of living appropriately or, or in a way that is becoming to Christ and the gospel. If we're going to walk worthy, we, then it makes sense that we walk circumspectly. Ephesians 5 and verse number 15. Let's read that one in unison together. The Bible says what? See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. 
So what does the idea of circumspectly mean? It has the idea of, of carefully, with great care. Uh, sometimes when you go on mission trips or things like that, uh, I've been to Honduras a couple of times, and a lot of the facilities around Honduras, they have, they have fences and they have barbed wire on the top of the fences. It's, it's a very common thing. And a lot of times you see cats walking across the tops of the fences. And the cats walk circumspectly. Why? Because there's barbed wire right there. And if they slip, quite often there's a German shepherd at the bottom. And so the cats walk circumspectly. I think one of the most vivid illustrations of walking circumspectly is, what, is how you walk if you own a dog. Or a large dog. And you go out into the backyard. How do you walk? You walk circumspectly. Because if you don't walk circumspectly, chances are you're going to walk right into a mess. And then life is going to stink. You know, when we don't walk circumspectly, we walk right into a mess. And there are a whole lot of Christians trouncing around carefree in, in, in the filth of the world. They, they wonder why their life stinks. Here's the thing. You watch where you step because filth stinks. And I don't want others to confuse the stink of filth with the scent of faith. A lot of Christians with mess on their shoes going, hey, I'm a Christian. How about we... How about we get cleaned up and we watch how we walk? As Paul says in Corinthians, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. Walk circumspectly. It's kind of like the old illustration of the cup. You know, any old cup can hold water, but I'm not going to drink out of any old cup. If I'm going to use it for me, it's got to be clean. It's got to be clean. Hey, I don't just want to be filled with His will. I want to be fit for His will. I want to be fit for His will. I want God to look at this church and say, Harvest Baptist, that's a church I can use. I want God to look at me and say, Alan Holmes, that's a Christian I can use. i got to be filled with His will. I have to be fit for His will. And by the way, if that's what I want, doesn't it make sense that I pray for it? Like the psalmist prayed, search me, O God. What did he say? Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way ever. Well, if that's what we want, why don't we pray? Lord, make me fit for your will. Grow me. Mold me. Make me. So we're praying. Praying for the will of God tonight. How are we praying for the will of God? Well, how did Paul pray for it? Number one, he prayed for what? He prayed that that church would be what? Number one, that they would be filled with his will. Number two, he prayed that they would be fit for his will. Number three, look at verse number 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord and all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So he prayed that they might be filled with his will, that they might be fit for his will. Number three, tonight, that they might be fruitful in his will. Paul prayed that God would allow them to be fruitful in his will. He said, being fruitful in every good work. You know, the reality is God wants us to bear fruit. 
God wants us to bear fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. You know, God wants to help us bear fruit. If you don't believe that, go to John 15. And hear Jesus' parable about the vine and the branches. And his father is the husbandman. What does he do? He purges that they might do what? Bear more fruit. God wants us to bear fruit. God works with us to bear fruit. If God wants us to bear fruit and, and he wants us to bear more fruit and we want to bear fruit, why don't we just ask him for it? Why don't we ask him, Lord, would you use me to bear much fruit? God, would you use this church to bear much fruit? Lord, would you use this ministry to bear much fruit? Lord, we want to bear fruit for you. Why don't we ask him? Well, how do we bear fruit? It kind of defines it for us here in verse number 10. Being fruitful in every good work. So we are fruitful in or by every good work. In other words, we ought to live life. And everything we ought to do, we ought to strive to do good for His glory. We ought to strive to do good for His glory. Everything we do should be done in His name for His glory. Amen? We don't chop up our lives like sections of a newspaper. Well, this is for the sports, and this is for the funnies, and this is for the real business. No, it all belongs to Him. We don't chop up our lives into secular and sacred, into home and church and work. No, it all belongs to Him. So much so that whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, we do all to the glory of God. Whatsoever our hand findeth to do, we do it with all our might. For what? For His glory. Paul prays that they would be fruitful in God's will. We ought to pray that God would make us such a people that we would be known as a people. We would be known for our charity. We would be known for our compassion. We would be known for our generosity, our grace, our graciousness. We, we should follow the example of Jesus. Amen. In his example, we see Acts chapter 10 and verse number 38. You can look at it later. The example that was given was Jesus of Nazareth who what? Who went about doing good. Went about doing good. By the way, this is fruitfulness. This is fruitfulness. Look with me at Titus chapter 2. Look with me at Titus chapter 2. We're staying pretty tight in Paul's epistles tonight. Not a bad place to stay. Titus chapter 2 and verse number 14. Look what Paul wrote here. He said, who gave himself for us, speaking of uh, Jesus Christ, verse 13, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Christians ought to be a people who are passionate about doing good. Not just doing good, but doing good in Jesus' name. Bearing fruit in Jesus' name. You know, the fruitfulness of the Christian life is, is not just when a soul gets saved. Yes, that is fruit. But the fruitfulness of a Christian life, it goes so far beyond just when a person makes the decision to put their faith in Jesus. We see the fruits of the Spirit being love, joy, peace, uh, long-suffering, meekness. Uh, we see that whole list there. That's fruit of the Christian life. You, you want to talk about fruit of the Christian life? Jesus, uh, in the, uh, uh, the Olivet Discourse, he talked about those who, who did good, who, who, who gave cups of cold water, who went and visited those who were in prison, who, who clothed those who were naked. Good 
works. We're not saved by good works, are we? No! That was an easy one. We're not saved by good works, are we? No. But you know what? Because I'm saved, I want to do good in Jesus' name. I want to bear fruit. God says in Titus, a peculiar people zealous, passionate about good works. If I polled 10 people in your life, what would they say they were, you were passionate about? If I polled 10 people in your life, what would they say you were passionate about? Scripture says one of those things ought to be good works. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10, unless you think that's an isolated verse. Ephesians 2 and verse number 10, turn there with me. I like hearing those pages turn, amen? It's good to do it. Of course, this comes right after Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. By grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Look at verse number 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Hmm. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. I hesitated to use that one, but... Be a good one for us to look at. 1 Timothy 6, beginning in verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world. Now, I know immediately the vast majority of you said, Oh, that's not me. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Did you have three meals today? Yeah, it is. Do you have food in your cup? Could you have had three meals today? Yeah. <coughs> Some of you have had four meals today. Be honest. Do you have food in your cupboard for tomorrow? Did you get here in a vehicle that's reasonably reliable? Are you going to go home to shelter that's reasonably reliable? When it comes to to the world we live in, you are rich in this world. You might not be Elon Musk or Bill Gates, but trust me, if you have ever been out of the country, you know you are rich in this world. Charge them, Paul says, that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Hey, it's not wrong to enjoy the life God's given us. But verse number 18, look what it says, that they do good. That they be rich in good works. That they be ready to distribute, willing to communicate. Paul said, I'm going to pray that you are fruitful in God's will. Now, I wonder how how life would change if we woke up tomorrow and said, Lord, today, give me opportunities to do good in your name. What, What if that was our prayer? Lord, help me be fruitful. Lord, give me opportunities to do good today in your name. Give me opportunities to share the gospel. Give me the opportunity to comfort. Give me the opportunity to help. Give me the opportunity to to do good in your name. I wonder how our day would change. 
I wonder if that difficult person that otherwise we would have seen as an annoyance or a burden or a bad part of our day might not just become our opportunity to do good. That person who's so prickly might just not be the object that we are supposed to heap good upon. I wonder how it would change how we looked at people, how we looked at things, how we looked at things that might otherwise be obstacles. If we just said, Lord, I want to be fruitful today. I want to be fruitful for you. Lord, give me opportunities today to do good in Jesus' name. Hmm. I want my life to make a difference for him. I want my life to point people to him. I'm going to tell you, a lot of things in this world are empty. There's a lot of people who just want to live to get through the day. A lot of people who want to live just to maintain their comfort. A lot of people who want to live just to jump from one empty high to the next. But I'm going to tell you the one thing about God's will. It is not empty. And if you and I want to bear fruit, why don't we ask Him? Why don't we ask Him? Why don't we ask Him? You know, sometimes I'm afraid we have not because we ask not. If you are here on earth, you are here for a reason. I don't care what your past is. I don't care what your prospects are. Uh, If you are here on earth, you are here for a reason. Not only are you on earth for a reason, but God gives you each day for a reason. God has a will for you. Why don't we ask Him? Like Paul. Number one, what? Lord, do what? Lord, number one, Lord, fill me with your will. Lord, number two, fit me for your will. Number three, Lord, make me fruitful in your will. Look with me, Matthew 10, and we're done. Matthew 10, and we're done. Matthew 10 falls in what we call the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. I want you to see how Jesus taught us to pray, lest you are tempted to think it's just a Paul thing. Or a Pastor Holmes thing. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse number 10. I invite you if you would read it in unison with me. What does Jesus say here? He says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. In other words, when it comes to our church prayer list, maybe just maybe we ought to spend less time asking about accomplishing our will in heaven. And spend more time about asking about accomplishing His will on earth.